welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K., I'm Mariah Rose. I almost felt like we would have forgotten how to have an intro because it's been a while. Did you notice there was a slight pause after you finished your sentence and I started to respond? It was because I totally forgot I was supposed to talk. I was just going to watch. Deer in headlights. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to Laser Graves, everybody. Uh, If you are a longtime listener, thanks for patiently waiting while we uh, took some time off. And if you're a first time listener, disregard that whole last message. Welcome. Also... There may be some difference in audio quality in the next couple episodes because we are switching computers. I'm about to go office space on our old computer. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, I'm trying to make some changes, but I didn't really have time to prep before this. And in the meantime, while I was figuring this out, I looked up to notice um, you were drinking water out of your water bottle. Yeah. Like a baby bottle. <laughs> there's not like a nipple on it. It's no. just a cup. No, but you had both hands up okay. like a like a panda bear drinking formula. And you made fun of me, but that sounds adorable. <laughs> okay. Well, it was kind of cute. <laughs> okay. Wow. So for everybody who's a long time listener, <clears throat> we didn't plan on taking so much time off, but we just got hit with a crazy period of time where between... My work, your work, and both kids having after-school activities. There was, like, literally not an evening free for several months, and that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, and you said we didn't plan to take so much time off. We actually hadn't planned to take any time yeah, off. It was, like, one week was, well, we'll get to it next week, and then that week turned into a month, and then that month turned into two, and it just, here we are. It's like we're coming out. We're, like... um Encino Man, and we've just been chiseled out. Yeah, thawed out, for yeah, sure. Yeah, we're about to wheeze the juice for a while now. We made some adjustments to our life, and it's great to have some spare time, and we thought, you know what? Let's fill it. <laughs> Let's immediately fill it with a <laughs> podcast. No, uh, thanks, everybody, though. We're back. We're back to our normal schedule. Every other week, we uh, put out episodes on Tuesdays. We may have a slight change this coming week, just because... A little bonus. A little bonus because it's a special day. Otherwise, yeah, we'll go back to every other week. And that's about it for for that. As far as updates, since it's been a while. Oh, yeah. uh, I think last we spoke, my new album was wrapping up and that is officially done. And Masters are finished. Album art that you did, which is incredible. I'm going to brag. Is all finished too. And now it's getting ready to be sent off for production on vinyl and cassette and digital release and all that. So more more to come on my own solo stuff, which is um, Blood Relations. You can follow that at on Instagram at underscore Blood Relations. And then you had a solo show with, or a, I guess a two-person show mm-hmm. uh, with our friend Aaron from the last time we all spoke on the podcast. Oh, and yes. That went really well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I had an opening. So that's also part of the busyness was um, finishing up a buttload of work for this show. I had a lot of work already prepared, and then I had to put the finishing touches on several pieces and uh, had an amazing turnout. It was kind of funny because I hadn't been sure that anybody would come. Yeah, uh, yeah, we were kind of prepared for nobody to show up. It was weird. Like when the time, whatever time it started at like six, there was nobody there. And I was like, OK, just brace yourself. Maybe nobody's coming. And then it was packed and I was exhausted by the end of the evening. I could barely like function. It yeah. was such a great turnout. I sold a bunch of work. It was great. Really uh, very happy uh, turn of events that was really unexpected. Loved the gallery owner. He was so nice and such a supporter of the arts. So it just went great and couldn't ask for more. Yeah, it was great. And if anybody is interested in seeing what your art is like, you're, you're on Instagram. Everybody already knows that at Mariah Rose Wimmer. But you also have a website, mm-hmm. MariahRoseWimmer.com. A- so yeah. you can check out the work from the show. like Because it's all brand new work, all oil paintings that you did mm-hmm. recently. So go check that if, if you're into that. And then last, before we jump into this week's episode, mm-hmm. I had something happen today that I have to oh, good I have to talk about because this has never happened and it will probably never happen again. 
I had gone to the thrift store with our daughter. She was looking for Halloween costume and uh, we were having a little bit of luck and we were about to leave. And then I said, oh, we should go back and look at some boots for you or something, which is back at the other end of the store, even though we were about to, to leave. So we walk all the way back to the to the other end of the thrift store, which is where all the media is. And that's normally where I look for records and VHS and everything else. And there had been nothing new put out. So I wasn't going to look again. And then um, we just happened to be the right place at the right time when they were bringing out a huge tub of video games. And this is different for me. I normally talk about records and and VHS, but I've collected video games forever. And I don't talk about it because I don't really look anymore because video game collectors, especially flippers, are insane people. And so the odds of finding anything in a thrift store is just kind of slim to none. I just gave up. Mm -hmm. But the worker had a huge tub PlayStation 1 games, which is one of the systems I, I do play regularly. And and it was filled with, like, the goods, the, the, the cream of the crop of games that I have I do not own, nor mm-hmm. could I ever afford at this point. And they were all in perfect condition and marked for 99 cents. Do you want to drop some names of these games? Yeah. Uh, Silent Hill was in there. The Evil Dead game was in there. Clock Tower 2. Parasite Eve 2, Diablo, like just to name a few. <laughs> These are insane. Very expensive games. And I'm I'm a happy person. I'm so glad that you're happy. Although all of that was like gobbledygook to me. Yeah. I appreciate well, it. It's just stuff that I didn't think I would be able to. You know how it is. If you don't buy it when it first comes out. Once certain stuff becomes collectible, it's like good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of these games, especially ones like Silent Hill and Diablo and stuff. I'm just, I'm not going to buy those games at this point. So Mm -hmm. it was a very surprising turn of events. And I walked out with like 30 games, 99 cents each. And they were all that level and that quality. So yeah, that's exciting for you. Big day. We haven't done thrift store finds finds in a very long time. So there's a thrift store find. Way to go. I feel happy that you're happy. (laughs) I'm very happy. I'm not turning around and selling these. They're ones I actually really want to play. Yeah, you're happy. Anyway, okay, that's it. Um, That's it for our updates. Is it? Do you have anything else? Uh, Well, I may sprinkle in some updates I forgot about. It's been a while. Yeah. I may go, oh, yeah. Uh, But until then, that's all the updates for now. Okay. Let's get to this week's episode. All righty. It's a fun one. It is surprisingly a first-time watch for both of us. Uh-huh. I was certain I had seen this not Same. only once, but several times. <laughs> and then the moment it started, I realized I have never seen this. And it's definitely a classic. It's been sitting on our shelf for years. Yeah. And I haven't rewatched or I hadn't watched it because I thought, oh, I've already seen that. I'll get to it again at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great one to come back with for the spooky season. Nice. It's not officially a Halloween movie, but it feels like a Halloween movie for sure. It's spooky. Although, isn't every season kind of spooky? Yeah. Okay. If you're a spooky person at heart. I am. This week, we are talking about the 1988 horror film, Waxwork. It's 11.45. Let's go. Imagine, if you will, an exhibit in fear. Looks a little spooky, boys. You think we should do this? A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. Ooh, scary. Your fascination with ghosts, monsters, and the many unearthly elements of the supernatural. Look at this. Killer. Enjoy. Wow, the glasses from Nutty Zombies from Hell. Lose yourself in it. Do you like a closer look? Really? But whatever you do, don't step over the rope. Welcome, my dear. We thought you were too tired to join us. Alright, I'm hypnotized. Hey, not so fast. Ah! Relax! Want a cup of coffee? We'll talk about it. I want out of here, Sarah. I'm serious. Getting scared? Do I get a pretty woman in my illusion? No. No, I get a dork. It isn't real! Hello! What the hell did you kill him for? He'd have been flipping! Ah! 
Paramount Pictures welcomes you into a new dimension in terror. Waxwork. Okay, like I just said, uh, first time watch. <laughs> yes, big surprise. We're going to front load it. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Uh, this film rules. <laughs> yeah, I was I was like you. I was like, I've definitely seen this before. And then instantly it was like, I have not seen this before. Yeah, not only had I not seen it, man, was it a treat. It this was. is a good film. This is a really fun film. It's heartening, too, because you're like, I've seen all of the good horror movies. And then something like that hops up. Yeah, it is great when one slides under the radar. And it's not just like a really cheesy, dumb one that makes you laugh and, and that's it. Well, that's but it's what like, it is. No, but this was like a legit solid 80s horror film <laughs> comedy horror too which we'll talk about one of the rare subgenres of horror to pull off and they did a really good job in this one like i said it came out in 1988 so this is interesting i was looking into it it was written and directed by anthony hickox and it was written in three days i believe it I thought this was a pretty clever script and fun, so the fact that he wrote it in three days is pretty cool. It has sort of a, you know, Tales from the Crypt quality where you get, like, little sub-stories within it. An anthology, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought, too, is it's kind of like a sneaky anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely feels that way. You get all these little sub-stories, yep. but with a wraparound, which is the Waxwork Museum yeah. in general. Uh, Anthony has some pretty interesting credits. He did Hellraiser 3. Okay. Which one is that? That's the one with the CD. So, yeah. Uh, It's probably... I don't know. I was a huge Hellraiser fan when I was a kid. I love part one. Like, love it. I think part two is incredible. Part three was always kind of the goofy one. And part four, Bloodlines, gets a lot of hate. But it came out in a time when I could go to the video store with my friends and rent a movie. Mm -hmm. And I remember renting Bloodlines. So therefore, it's always been a little special, even Mm -hmm. though it's a little subpar. We all have those. It's still cool. It's Pinhead in Space. What's not to love about that? I see no problem. (laughs) Anyway, oh, and then um, the director also did Warlock Armageddon. R.I.P. Aww. To Julian Sands. But now he's the Warlock of Heaven. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of RIPs, this director that we're talking about, Anthony Hickox, just died. Oh, well, I feel sad for his family, but also a little relieved because when I was like, I believe it, I felt bad if he listened to this podcast. So Yeah, no, he just died a couple weeks ago, October 9th. Sorry for his family. (laughs) Yeah. Also, he's up there hanging out, shooting movies with with Julian Sones now. Okay. How would you like to do another Warlock movie with me? (laughs) Warlock. <laughs> he also is an actor. I was surprised he had been in a bunch of movies, but he was in one that we wish was an 80s movie so we could cover, but is a 90s movie. What? The Granny. Oh. The Granny Rules. I f- totally forgot that movie existed. Sitting right there, baby. Let's watch it yesterday. And he's also in another good one that we can't cover, Return of the Living Dead Part 3. Mm. So he's been in a bunch of stuff. But anyway, I was right. surprised to see that he was an actor as well. Yeah. So active dude. Okay. No longer. I mean, he's not He's not active no, anymore. No. He's dead. Well, I mean, he's energy. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last, the only other credit I wanted to bring up was the composer, who I really liked the score a lot. I thought it was a fun, classic score. Really helped the movie a lot. And I thought this guy was going to be some sleeper name that I had never heard and would be shocked at all his credits. He has a ton of credits. But he's kind of like, you know, when we talk about those actors who are working actors and have yeah. one TV credit of every TV movie ever made yes. or TV series, that's him. Oh. He's got like so many credits, but they're all TV series and TV movies. His big claim to fame, though, that he did for a really long time was the Highlander TV series. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway, shout out to this composer. His name was uh, Roger Bellin. He did a really good job. I like this one a lot. Is he dead? Oh, I, no, I don't think he's dead. Oh, you said was, so his well, name was. Well, because he composed it in past tense. And it continues to be his right. name. but he's no okay. longer composing it currently. Okay. <laughs> Just clarifying. <laughs> anyway, that's it for the credits. We don't have to keep going on that. But uh, this was the director's first movie, and I think he came out pretty confident. And How did he swinging. get such a big cast? I don't know. The casting was interesting because it's got a really pretty solid cast. 
But I read somewhere that how he got the gig was he had a car accident. He ran into somebody who worked in film and they needed a script. And I guess during the accident, he's like, oh, I can write you a script. And that's why he wrote it in three days. That sounds very L.A. Very L.A. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's about who you know. Yep, and who you threatened to sue. <laughs> yeah, who you crashed your car into. How about you don't sue me, instead I write you a script. Perfect. It works. Anyway, let's um, talk about this a little bit, because this is great, great premise. I love the whole concept. I love the way it unfolds. And the acting is surprisingly good for... Well, I mean, as far as the actors go, I was... I was just kind of surprised that it felt more, not like a big budget horror, but maybe more mainstream than I was expecting. Yeah, he got some like familiar faces. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. Yes, yeah. Like it's not, some of these people are famous and like household faces, but probably not household names. No. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Okay, so we do, just to like drop a few of the cast names, we have Zach Galligan who plays Mark. Um, Where would we know Zach from? Gremlins. There we go. Uh, we have Deborah Foreman. She plays Sarah. She is from April Fool's Day, Real Genius, and Valley Girl. Okay. I'm a big Real Genius fan. Yes. She was also a Maybelline model in the 80s. So Interesting. Yes. Good she for does her. have pretty impressive eyes. I could see her being a like a mascara model. Yeah. Does that sound weird? Does no, that make no. sense? She's got makeup eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then we have Michelle Johnson. She plays China. I thought she was going to be a big name because she just had a big personality on screen. She's like a mega babe, too. I thought, oh, for sure. She was going to be... I thought she, spoiler alert, was going to be the final girl because she's got all everything that you need to have like... Beauty. Very, very... And just like you said, a lot of personality on screen. She's got charisma. But I think she kind of went on to just do, not like Skinamax, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's she's fit, so go where your body takes you, I guess. But um, really, my favorite career um, stop she made was in Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Did awesome. you see her character in Death Becomes Her? No, which one is she? She is just like an assistant to Meryl Streep's um, character. Okay. Not a babe. Really? No, she's mousy. It's wild. I was like, that's her? Oh, I so. guess it, like you couldn't have competing bodies when you have no. that cast. No. Isabella she, Rossellini. It's more just the hairdo they gave her was something. We, did, is Death Becomes Her 90s? Yes. Feels 90s. Dang I it. love Death Becomes Her. Why is this not a 90s podcast? I know. Well, we did introduce the time travel element. That's and we true. Haven't the used problem it. is we want to time travel everywhere yeah okay we have dana ashbrook who plays tony who we know from twin peaks yeah bobby briggs and then the last name to drop is david warner another twin peaks alum yes so with that in mind you've got a nice little cast to to go into your first movie i mean i'd be thrilled as a as a director writer and shocker uh dana plays Bobby Briggs. <laughs> Basically the exact same person. But I mean, like he's good at what he does. Slightly nicer. Yeah, yeah. And he's just, he's definitely got on-screen presence. Yes, he also has charisma. Yeah. Okay, just like you. <laughs> you know who else has charisma? Don't say charisma carpenter. Charisma carpenter. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, we've been watching. Don't uh, admit this. Don't admit this. I'm admitting it because you're the one that suggested it. No. We've been re-watching for the multiple times now the entire series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Charisma Carpenter's on that. It's okay. This movie takes place in a college town. It does. Just yep. like Sunnydale High. No, from... it's a high school town. No, there's a college. <laughs> Remember, she goes to that fraternity party and there's a demon in the basement that she slays. It's like a snake demon. Okay. There's a college. So our main character is a rich young man child named Mark. That's, again, Zach Galligan. Oh, that's funny the way it starts with the mom telling him to drink his milk. Yeah, he's got a huge glass of milk, which is such an 80s thing, that milk campaign. Do you remember when you started dating me? You were like, why does your family drink so much milk? Yeah, it was really creepy. My mom was like real big on the milk thing. I was not. I was never a big milk drinker, so it, it creeped me out. 
Yeah, it was weird. My mom was kind of in in just this one way the same. I drink a lot of milk as a so child. So I didn't know Waxwork was a comedy horror. Uh-huh. And this is the first indication was that milk comment. Yeah. That I thought, oh, wait a minute. This might be a comedy because it was so funny. It was a little out of place, though. Yeah. Uh, so he, she tells him to drink his milk and he's mad because he wants coffee. And it's milk next to a cup of orange juice, which imagine the flavor combo there that's just crazy yeah absolutely crazy also i want to say that it's hilarious that we're vegan after all the milk my my mom made me drink (laughs) maybe that's why (laughs) (laughs) okay so mark lives in this mansion with a large supportive staff and apparently his mother i don't remember if they said about his dad doesn't matter so of special note is the fact that Mark Mark has a personal butler. I think his name is Jenkins. Oh, Just it is. Yeah. Think about that. But Jenkins allows him to have a secret cup of coffee and then lights a cigarette for him. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. And then uh, asks him if he wants his wheels. Yeah. <laughs> this is funny. And this then he's ready funny. to walk. But uh, side note, the smoking in this movie was out of control. Like... Yeah, there's a lot of smoking in the movie. I mean, that's pretty that's standard the 80s. for the 80s. Yeah, yeah it's just, I, I guess, just so marked because the the world we live in now is so different. A lot of indoor smoking that you don't see anymore. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. He's smoking and he's going to go to school. And by school, I mean college. But it, it feels like a high school, even though they say they're in college. <laughs> I don't know, but they talk like college students, not like high school students. Yeah, they're adults for sure. Uh, And we get introduced at this point to the college crew, um, Mark's sometimes girlfriend, China. And I'm not really, their relationship was a little unclear. He wants to pin her down. She doesn't want to be pinned down. She seems like somebody who cannot be pinned down. She is the femme fatale of the group for sure. Yeah. I also appreciate that this is a college group and not a high school group. I felt like that made this film... A bit more fun mm-hmm. because the content could be a little bit not mature in the way of like mature sexually, but no. just mature as in the the dialogue was not as you know high schooly. Yeah, I liked that a lot. I don't know why. I just I feel like maybe I've gotten used to the setting always being high schoolers doing. Maybe it's because we've just been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they all talk like they're 30. Except for Angel, because he's like 264. Oh, quit bringing this up. You're going to feel shame as you think about this later. Okay. It's our dark well, secret. I mean, we'll let the <laughs> viewers be the judge of that. Or the listeners. Okay, so China, femme fatale, real scene stealer. And she is at least in the first part of this movie, which I think you kind of alluded to earlier, because it really seemed like she was the purpose of this movie. Yeah, I was really surprised as the film went on. Yeah. Her fate. I I just didn't see that coming at all. No, it was a big surprise, but we'll get to it. Don't kill the story. Their other friends are Gemma and James, as well as Tony and Sarah. So Sarah and China are also walking to college. Apparently nobody drives to college. And they encounter a strange man, uh, David Warner, who owns a new wax museum just in the middle of this residential I love area. How he just appears. It's really funny. Yes. And he invites them and no more than six friends to attend a private viewing at midnight. Mm-hmm. And our sassy gal, uh, China, says, yes, please. I would love to go to a midnight showing, even though literally nobody else is interested. She makes it happen. <laughs> I like how kind of showing our age that during this whole scene and and coming up when they attend the house, you asked, would you do that? Because the house is pretty creepy already. So uh-huh. implying, would you go to a strange home? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and our both of our responses were no. Not because it was creepy and a stranger invited us, but because it was at midnight. <laughs> and that's just too late. We got to work in the morning. <laughs> just, yeah. If you put it 6.30 or 7, I might go. Yeah, probably. With six or seven friends. So they agree. They're like, yes, we're going to go. There's also some weird drama between China and Mark and a jock. Don't worry about it. Just there's no purpose for it, really. Yeah, that's true. It it's, takes up way too much time. 
they clearly have a complicated relationship that doesn't play any part. And it's really only the first 15 or 20 minutes. And then basically Mark doesn't care about what happens to her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like something got cut out. Or maybe this is just debut director scenario, but... Three days. Yeah, three days. That's right. We'll just keep saying that. Three days. So the gang make their way to the museum, but... The two two of the friends, James and Jenna, they bail. They're like, this place is creepy. And they leave. And everybody else goes in. It turns out it's just a horror horror wax museum, not historical museum wax museum, specifically horror moments. Yeah, and I do like that right away you can tell none of them are actual wax figures. They're all <laughs> actors shaking. Just shaking, trying to stay posed, which is both clever to try and get around the cost of production, but yeah. also really funny. It is funny. Yeah, it, it's very clear. This is no house of wax, that's for sure. No, and the, the owner, David Warner, is not there to greet them. We have a tiny butler and a tall butler there to greet yeah. to greet our group. Once inside the actual museum itself, the group just basically splits and everybody goes in their own direction. It's like dropping a bag full of cats into a room and they all just go their own way. Yeah, and they really just act like they own the place. Yeah, they do. Well, they've got private viewing. They oh, that's get, true. Like first dibs. I guess you could just kind of go anywhere if it was a private viewing. Yeah, but I feel like when you're with your friends, you just walk from one spot to the next. Maybe. Or, like, break off into a couple groups, unless you're a weird loner. (laughs) Yeah, I would definitely. I would do my own thing. You would. So, Tony, uh, Dana Ashbrook, is the first to cross the roped-off boundary. Uh, So they're, like, roped off each exhibit. He's he's the first. Okay, so let's explain this, because this is important to the whole story. For those who haven't seen it or need a refresher. The idea is that in front of every vignette or panorama of these wax settings, mm-hmm. which are different historical scenes of, of horror. Well... Or, I, like, fictitious, but yeah. just still historical. Um, there's a, an invisible force field mm-hmm. that nobody can see, and there's a little roped-off stanchion that drops automatically, inviting the person to step forward. And what they do is they pass through this portal into the wax vignette but into the time of that yeah it's like a new plane of existence yeah so it's like a time travel and it's so cool like what a great idea it's so simple well and it's it's a great way to tell a bunch of different stories it's not really time travel because it also just sort of invents realities for instance tony crosses into a world where werewolves are real yeah that's true so this comes out swinging pretty strong though i'd say yeah all the little anthology sub stories this one's, this one's up there. Yeah. The kills in this are gruesome. <laughs> They're really good. So he finds himself in this werewolf place. He gets attacked and he himself begins to transform into a werewolf. And the werewolf that bit him actually kills somebody by ripping their head in half. I like, whoa. I was already, already digging this movie. But you know how it is when you're a horror fan, like... The first kill kind of determines. And this was so much more than I was prepared for. And I guess there's a rated and an unrated that, you know, that happened a lot, especially with Vestron and stuff. But this kill was so graphic. Yes. Where you like grabbed the top of his head and just ripped him in half. It was awesome. It was violent. It was so good. And the werewolf looks great. Mm -hmm. It's fun. And I... The, the moment this happened, it had me and I thought, I'm going to just watch this whole movie no matter what, because yeah. that kill was so good and way more, way more gory than I was expecting for the type of setting that, that had been set already. Like mm-hmm. I didn't really see that happening. So very pleasant surprise. Yeah. And Tony is here transforming now because he's been bitten. But then we go back into reality and see that. Tony is a wax figure figure in this little diorama or whatever. Yeah, so, he's now been turned into yeah. part of it. So he's in the scene. So after that happened, that's when I realized the way this was going to play out was like an anthology. Yeah. And I liked that even more because I thought that was really fun. Right. But it doesn't stick to it for the whole movie, which is good because I thought that would get boring too. But next up is China. She mm-hmm. enters into a vampire's castle 
Oh, this one is so good, too. It's very gruesome also. So she shows up, and she's dressed like a princess, kind of noble lady. She's got, you know, a fancy dress, and there's a dinner table set down, like a a fancy castle dinner. And a bunch of people are sitting at the table with one man who is clearly, like, the head of the situation. Mm -hmm. And he brings her down. She sits down at the table and is fed a bowl of, like, red sludge that looks like chunks of meat. And this is a whole scene of, like, do you want some of the sauce, which is clearly just blood. Yeah. But she's eaten it. She ate the whole thing. Yeah. She said she would try it because he recommended it. Yes. Only it ended up being, you know. Well, re- we'll get to it. You know. We'll get to it. So she's then led to her chambers where the vampire's son attacks her. And she runs screaming through the castle and ends up in this white tiled, like, downstairs room where her fiancé in this world is tied down on, like, a table. (laughs) Okay, wait, because... You want to say it. Go ahead. Well, no, because this is really incredible. But even before then, talking about the humor in this film, Mm -hmm. there's a really quick scene that happens up in her bedroom that made me laugh out loud. Which is when the son goes to bite her, mm-hmm. she dodges, and he, yeah. he hits his fangs on the marble sculpture, and it yes. makes a little ting sound. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Anyway, so back to the basement where she finds her fiancé, who is laying on a slab. Yes. And has just been served to everybody at the dinner table, because his leg from like the knee down, I guess? Maybe it's from No, it's from that. his knee. Is knee to ankle. completely gone and just bone and meat. And it looks so good. But we should also say he's still alive. Oh, yeah. And he's just talking. It, yeah, like kind of calmly. Yeah. But he, it's like it becomes clear as you see this. Oh, that's what she was eating. That's gross. It's such a gruesome but also really funny scene the way it's playing out. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, it is. It's gross. But well done. Yeah. Well done indeed. So, um... Is it the sun that comes down next? Yeah, so he finds her down there. And then it just, to basically not walk through every single little detail, it breaks into pure chaos because the sisters, are they basically supposed to be like the three... Three female vampires and the sun all attack. Yeah. She beats them all. But there is so much blood. Yes. Her dress is pink at the end. Spraying. It's like dead alive. It's just spraying everywhere. Yes. I loved I loved everything about this. I just could not believe mm-hmm. how fun this was. I I mean, man. It was ridiculous. I keep saying it, but I just you've not seen Waxwork. You gotta watch <laughs> you it. You gotta watch it. It's great. You probably think you've seen it like we did. Yeah, you probably you thought really? you saw it a couple times like we did. <laughs> um, she also has to kill her fiance because in the melee he becomes also a vampire. And then she runs to escape, but Big Daddy Vampire comes and she cannot hold herself back from his vampy charms and as he goes to bite her we are transported back to reality where she is now part of the wax museum yeah and this is really the last of the pretty fully developed yeah it's really only those two i mean we get little glimpses into other ones but not to this level and so i was happy that they didn't stick with this formula because i felt like that would have gotten a little boring yes uh, the Brojock who was involved with the weird love triangle that kind of was happening, he comes to the Wax Museum that night also, and the owner shows up in front of him and basically just shoves him into a Phantom of the Opera display. Yeah, we never see anything That's about that. That's the end that. of that. Yeah. So now Mark and Sarah are the only two left in the museum, and they're like, where did everyone go? And they're given some weird non-answers, and they end up leaving. And the next day, Mark is calling around. He's trying to figure out what happened to his friends, uh, Tony and China. And eventually he goes to the police station. And at the station, he encounters the most aggressively chain-smoking, angry <laughs> cop. He's like, so mean. For no reason. This guy's like, my friends have disappeared. Actually, he's aggressive too, but they're just shouting at each other yeah. for no reason. It's like... <laughs> it's a really weird dynamic. Okay. Uh, and the he, he's really smoking a lot. The cop reveals that there are a buttload of missing people, but then he also is trying to gaslight Mark into like, your friends aren't really missing. Yeah. Even though he's just been like, there are like 18 other missing people or whatever. I read in the IMDb like facts, fun facts thing, uh-huh. 
the, all the mo- missing posters that they're using are just reused from the Lost Boys. Really? And they just changed it a little. But yeah. Cool. It, it, I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't even catch that. That's pretty cool. Uh, eventually, he and Mark and some other random sunglass-wearing Miami Vice dressing cop go to the museum together. Yeah. So the cop meets the owner, David Warner, and Mark is kind of standing there, and he seems to recognize the owner. He's like, wait, where have I seen that face before? Because up to this point, he hadn't actually seen the owner. It had been China and Sarah who had seen him, and then he wasn't there at the museum. So Mark leaves, and the owner takes the, or lets the angry cop in to look around and he does he just like wanders the museum and he's like yep no kids standing around here and he leaves but then later returns after going back to his office and looking at the missing posters and being like wait wait they're all wax figures (laughs) so he goes back and in uh, for reasons unknown, he goes over to the wax display of China and just cuts a chunk out of her cheek. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Why? Why it did he do that? Pretty good, though, because that's the first time we really get an interaction with the wax. To prove that it's to, wax. To prove that it's wax. And I thought that was pretty, pretty cool, too. Um, you know, it's interesting considering other wax horror movies. This really dances around having to rely heavily uh-huh. on real wax. And yet, uh, not, not at one point did I think this wasn't a wax museum. No, I mean, that was wax for sure. I know, I'm just saying, like, it was pretty smart the way they strategically placed a couple scenes here and there yeah. to well, just imply that it was all wax. Even though every other shot, you can see the actors shaking, shaking trying to hold their stances so the cop takes this chunk of cheek and he just well he tries to use the tip of his knife to put it in the ziploc bag (laughs) and then he can't then he just grabs it and tosses in and like what for bro what are you gonna do with that why does he want it i don't know but i feel like that whole scene was very intentional for comedy because it shows it a close-up of him struggling (laughs) to put it in the bag and then just getting mad and picking it up with his hands yes Unfortunately, after this, he makes the mistake of walking in into an Egyptian display where he encounters, you know, he goes into the alternate reality and encounters a mummy being conjured back to life. There's a babe. He's, yeah. in, he's in the he's in the museum now. He's part of it. So his flashy dressing partner comes looking for him after a certain amount of time. But the tall butler just breaks his neck. Yeah. Kills him right away. No regard for his but fashion. That partner goes in with his shades on. Yeah. Which I, which was pretty cool. It was very cool. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mark, who, remember, recognized David Warner, was like, okay, Sarah, let's go to my attic. And she's like, yep. So they go to his mansion's attic to look through like, his grandfather's boxes of stuff. And they realize that the only suspect in his grandfather's murder, which I'm not sure if we mentioned, was that was like at the beginning of the movie. So anyway, he was murdered. It was all before the opening credits. Anyway, the only suspect in his grandfather's murder was a man named David Lincoln, who looks an awful lot like our wax museum owner. So uh, that's cool, except the, the math's not mathing because he should be an old man if if that's the case, but he looks like he's the same age as the time his grandfather was murdered and this man went missing. Which is kind of on brand for David Warner because, you know, he was on the Titanic and he looked the same. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Good one. So Mark's like, what do I do with this information? Who should I call? Ah, yes, Sir Wilfred. That's right. My grandfather's old pal, who is this sassy old man in a wheelchair, who just, I I mean, I think my favorite part of the movie is watching this man in his wheelchair. (laughs) He really whips around. And like forces people into positions (laughs) with his wheelchair. Which only gets better by the end of the movie. We'll get to it. So he was a friend of Mark's grandpa, and he basically lays out the whole plot for us in like four sentences here. Um, He basically said that Lincoln sold his soul to Satan and then stole his grandfather's collection of things that belong to the 18 most evil people who ever lived. (laughs) Don't, I mean, 
stick a pin in the fact that most of these aren't people. It's like a mummy right. and vampire and a werewolf. <laughs> totally. And Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> okay. So other than that, um, Lincoln sold a soul, which allowed him to stay young looking. And by young looking, we mean no younger than 50. <laughs> <laughs> And then he's like, and black magic and voodoo. And that's the description of what's happening. I buy it. Yeah. And oh, yeah. These wax effigies are going to allow the evil to come back end of the world. Is that pretty good? Yeah. You want to add to that? No, it's great. Okay. And then he's like, young kids, why don't you go burn the museum down? And they're like, great. We don't need any more information to prove this to us. Yeah. And they're like, let's go get some kerosene. Or no, they have Zippo lighter fluid. (laughs) So they're going to go commit some arson. They enter the museum for one last time. But Sarah ends up in another vignette. This one, Marquis de Sade. Yeah, this is probably the last... This the other big one that we get as yeah. far as the anthology idea, where she yeah falls into this world. Yeah, and Mark ends up with some zombies, but they both manage to escape their displays. Yeah, I mean they try and build the world of him. You know, she's getting whipped and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But um, yeah, they both get out, and that's not supposed to happen. They broke the rules. Meanwhile, the other two expendables, I mean, their friends who had disappeared in Act 1, suddenly come back and end up in the displays. So the situation's actually looking pretty bleak, except Sir Wilfred (laughs) arrives in a decked-out wheelchair. It's so funny. It's got... It looks like a miniature... Not a chariot. It's like a chariot. It is kind of like a medieval chariot. Yeah. So his army, though, includes people like Jenkins, Mark's butler. Yeah. And their history teacher from college who was weirdly obsessed, but not in like an I like Hitler way, but like we really need to watch out for dictators kind of way. Uh, So he's also there. That's like it's old men. It's an army of old men. Yeah. Okay. Like history buffs. It's basically like everybody who's been knighted in England, you know? It'd be like sure. Sir Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> Sir Ian McKellen. So now it's time for a brawl, though. Right. And that oh, is what happens. Basically, that's all that happens. That's the rest of the movie. All of the wax museum um, come out of their displays and engage in full battle yes. at this point. The Marquis de Sade uh, gets into a duel with Mark. Mm-hmm. He is not a swordsman. And he's losing. But thankfully, Sarah has an axe or a hatchet or something (laughs) and does away with a Marquis de Sade. And then David Warner comes back and he's like, no, no, no. This isn't how this ends. This is evil. But then Sir Wilfred comes in, shoots David Warner, and he (laughs) falls into an inexplicable that of bubbling wax yeah what's the wax for why do you need this wax i don't know because they just magically turned to wax yeah what's happening good point thank you also they had that one room when they first snuck back in into the back room and there Mm -hmm. it was filled with wax head maybe it's just to to keep up the ruse of like if there's people sniffing around there's our vat of wax yeah there's wax right there's a wax head i bet that's what it was for okay Okay. So, okay. It looks like Sir Wilfred is the hero. But alas, this is his swan song because a werewolf comes up and bites him. (laughs) Oh, and the museum's on fire now because of the Zippo lighter fluid. So (laughs) the museum is burning down. Mark and Sarah make their escape as the wax museum burns to the ground. But don't worry, a zombie hand crawls out, leaving the way for a sequel. We're waiting for it. Oh, it happened. What? Is there waxwork too? Yeah. Oh, we probably have seen it twice. Well, I had it for a long time. <laughs> and you were like, I've already seen it. I've this. already seen it. I might as well <laughs> get rid of it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> okay. So this is pretty awesome. Um, really cool. I do have a minor fun fact. Oh, I totally forgot about them. <laughs> Okay, don't get your hopes up because it's super, super small one. But one of the the people doing the stunts in this okay. was none other than 
Kane Hodder from Friday the 13th. Again, oh, that he is a keeps fun showing up in all these movies that we do. And he, he had a bit role in there, too. I don't remember which character he played, but I didn't realize he was involved. And why that's interesting is I read that the the jock that gets pushed into the Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Originally, that was supposed to be, I think, a Friday the 13th one. And they couldn't work out the details. Uh. And I think there was also supposed to be one with the thing from John Carpenter. Uh-huh. But they couldn't get that sorted, too. So it was kind of like just making do with what you could. So, but there you go. There's your there's your Friday the wow, 13th. That is a tie-in. fun fact. Yeah, I was surprised. to. See, I mean, sort of surprised to see his name also not. Right. But it's really... Really random how much stuff he pops up in. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So Waxwork uh, comes out June 17th, 1988. Yes. Had a $3 million budget, which is pretty healthy, honestly. Yeah. Made a whopping 800000 Oh. But somehow got a sequel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, same, same director and everything. I think it's called something... Uh, I can't remember now. It's got a red cover... I think it's called like Lost in Time or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I had it for so long. It's okay. It'll turn up. Again. And I thought I had seen that too. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm trying to downsize. I don't need all these tapes. I've already seen this and I got rid of it. And then today I was thinking about it and was like, whoops, I have not seen that one. So heavy. We have for Waxwork, we have the unrated Vestron VHS release. And I would highly recommend the unrated version because the gore in this, like we said, is awesome especially during the final battle you know the weatherman scene like oh yeah there's heads being ripped off and everything it's it's chaos it's great it's awesome he did a film right after this called i want to say it's called sundown or something with vampires and i thought okay well i'm gonna seek this out because if this film was this gruesome and when i looked at the ratings of violence uh-huh this one's a severe, a red warning, and the other one isn't. And I was kind of surprised by that because that's what partly made this so fun. Yeah. Is that it really didn't need to be as gruesome as it was. No. And that was just a totally added bonus. Yeah. And interestingly, n- no nudity was there. No. And I was kind of surprised by that, too, because yeah. there was a lot of babes cast in this. The Egyptian babe, our, our lead... The Marquis de Sade extras, like, I was yeah. thinking there's for sure going to be nudity in this with all the gore, yeah. and there wasn't. I was surprised. Also, not really a relationship. Like, kind of Mark and China and kind of Mark and Sarah. Yeah, it didn't really matter. Yeah, but they kind of tried to put it in there. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, true. eh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, this was solid. Uh, very solid 80s horror. And like we said, a horror comedy, and those are very hit and miss for us, at least. I feel like oftentimes the jokes land flat or they lean one way or the other too much. Yeah. This one isn't quite as over the top as maybe something like Night of the Creeps. No. But it's definitely got, it's maybe more of like a Monster Squad vibe or something where I can see that being a good, a really good double feature, actually, because of the whole Wolfman and all that. Um, It's got that kind of, that feel, that humor. I would love to see a spinoff of the fighting grandpas. I mean, they're all dead, so. Yeah. Unfortunately. I do like that they came to the rescue. Yeah. Poor Jenkins. (laughs) Yeah. But overall, definitely recommend this one. Yeah. Very amused that I thought I had seen it multiple times. Both of us. I'm sure we're not alone in that, though. When you have, you've been watching movies your whole life and you've yeah. seen so many, especially ones that you know the name or the cover of, the assumption is, of course, I've seen it. Uh-huh. And it's really, really funny when it's something like this that you know you haven't seen. Totally. I watched another one for the first time a couple days ago mm-hmm. that I thought I had seen and I hadn't. What and was it? We are definitely going to have to cover that on the podcast. I think it's 80s. Like, it would have to be really early 80s if so. What was it called? It's called Night of the Demon. Not Night of the Demons. Oh, I was like, I've seen that. Definitely no. Night of the Demon about a, uh, let's just say a Bigfoot who likes to party hard. And when it's time to party, he will party hard. Oh. It was way off the rails. Okay. And I loved it. So if that is indeed 80s. It's fair game, and we'll get to it at some point because okay. you have to see it to okay. believe it. Okay, good Very stuff. Very nice. We've got to wrap this up, though. We got to watch an episode of Buffy, and I, I can tell you want to. Okay, 
I hope everybody just caught what just happened. <laughs> Talk about gaslighting. Okay. <laughs> well, well, you heard the woman. She's got to watch her Buffy. <laughs> so, <laughs> we got to get back to the werewolves and vampires in another way. That is this week's episode. Again, thanks everybody for returning with us and coming back to the Laser Graves podcast. We are back on it. We yeah. will stick with it. We have something special planned coming up very soon, so hopefully that comes out. Unless, you know, we take change our mind and <laughs> take several months off. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram at Lasergraves. You can check out all of our back episodes at lasergraves.com. And you can get our episodes anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts. As always, um, check out our friends. Let me see. What's today? Tuesday. I will be on the Thursday episode. So just a couple days from now. Uh, Bad Taste Video again. I join them regularly because they're our friends. Great show. So if you want to check that out, um, please do. And check out everybody else. We'll start to get back to sharing what everybody's been up to. I kind of fell out of out of that on Instagram. I'm sorry. We've got lives. You know what's sad? We don't. People are realizing that we took time off to watch Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just kidding. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Bye.